The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will interview Austin FC President Andy Lochnane. Uh, we will also talk about Tomas Pochettino's loan to River Plate. We'll t- talk about the MLS Super Draft and much more. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I'm enjoying watching Landon in his jacket from his uh, <laughs> recording area. He, I guess he got cold between the Andy Lochnane interview and the you opening. Might, you might hear my teeth chatter a couple of times <laughs> in the in the interview with Andy. We did that before recording this bit, so be gentle with me. Well, let's talk about meeting people on the street outside the stadium, the uh, New Year's Day parking lot beer drinking and soccer meetup which i thought was really successful like what did you what did you think about that it was yeah we we kind of we had the the top flight guys on last week and kind of forgot to cover this part of it but it was amazing like i i i thought it was very heartwarming for some reason that there were folks that came out that we had never met in person before that had just heard us on the show that some folks came alone they didn't know anybody else there There there's several people who were in that camp but there's 25 to 30 people at one point hanging around and a few people coming and going as, as we went. But, uh, it was just really cool that like a bunch of strangers essentially pulled up into the street. And by the end of, of the, the few hours we were there, people were hanging out in like different little circles and chatting like old friends. And it was, it was just really cool to, to see like, um, the community that has formed a little bit around the show, mostly around the team. Right. But yeah, it was just, just really cool to see this um, community of folks and people coming out because and like meeting each other because they listened to our show. It was, I don't know, it made me feel kind of special. So thanks to everybody who came out and uh, it was a pleasure to meet you all. I got to meet quite a few folks who I'd never met before. Well, let's uh, get into the, this is one of the, okay. It's one of these things where we are going to suffer from the recording schedule and the release schedule and when people listen to it, but the Super Draft is tomorrow afternoon in recording time. Um, it's this afternoon for about half of you, because I think about half the people that download the show listen to it on the first day, and it's going to be in the past for the other half of you. So we're going to do our best <laughs> to sort of tell the story of the Super Draft and why it's important. And I mean, I think we say over and over again that we're out of the prediction business, but we're going to make I'm gonna we're gonna make predictions about who we might take. Yeah, so I I think the way we can frame this is we are gonna name some names of players, but I think what we can focus on today is more about why Austin FC might take a certain kind of player. Um, we'll get like we'll know the players for the next show. We'll get into that and give a whole breakdown of who who those players are. But for today, even though you might be hearing this after the draft, I think we can still serve a purpose by talking about it today and talking about what Austin FC's mindset could or should be going into this draft, which will still be helpful in retrospect after we know who the player is, or hopefully it is. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, hopefully that too. I mean, there, were, and there was movement today um, on for some other teams in the first round. Did you see this, the Toronto? Oh my God, yes. Let's talk about that too, <laughs> right quick. Really quick. So it was Toronto originally had the third pick they traded that pick away for dom dwyer who i forgot was even on toronto's roster uh they traded dom dwyer to dallas for that no and and gave them the pick so dom dwyer and the number three pick go to dallas 
you might be thinking, why would Toronto just give this a player and a pick to Dallas? The reason they did it is because Dallas then went on and bought out Dom Dwyer's contract to essentially like null his contract. Why did FC Dallas need to do that, you ask? It's because Toronto FC is going to buy out Josie Altidore's contract. MLS will only allow a team to buy out one player per offseason. And so they were already going to buy out Josie Altidore and really needed to do that one because they have too many designated players right now. And so by trading Dom Dwyer to Dallas and letting them buy him out, they skirt that rule and everyone kind of gets what they want. So it was the most MLS stuff I've ever seen, but it was like kind of beautiful also. <laughs> it was. So that that to say, the, the Super Draft is tomorrow at 2. Um, it's going to be streamed online. And now teams from Texas will have the third, fourth, and fifth pick uh, in the first round because Dallas will be 3. Uh, Houston will be four and Austin will be five. So and then Dallas is number six and then again Dallas as well. Is six. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so it'll be very with the kind of year the teams from Texas had. It will be a very Texas heavy top of the Super Draft, which is uh, very unsurprising. And then our guy Mike Lahood will be bringing the Lahood mood to the uh, broadcast along with the. He think he's one of the. And there's Doyle. There's four or five other other people that are going to be on the broadcast, but um, only the first round is going to be streamed, and you'll be able to watch it on. The Austin FC website, MLSsoccer.com, the MLS app, and then the second and third rounds will just like be just through the draft tracker um, on the MLS website. I'm kind of interested to watch this broadcast as well because they're going to have correspondence on the ground with some of the Generation Adidas players that they know are going to go high. So that'll be kind of cool to like be able to do an interview right there and then, and like it'll be a bit more like a, a big time draft kind of feel. I think so. That should be fun. Um, so Matt Doyle wrote an article for uh, each MLS team and what they needed. Um, essentially, it, like what he said for Austin is not going to be a surprise for us, right? A center back and a left back. Like we all kind of knew that. Uh, was, was there anything that, that didn't surprise you, did it, Jeremiah? It did not surprise me, the directness in which he said, I'm not convinced that Austin has a single starting caliber center back on the roster. Surprised me a little bit. Um, that's how he set it up. Although... He I mean, doesn't it, have the same love for, for <laughs> Johan that we do. That we do, that's right. If he had more of a local perspective, he might have a different opinion. But no, that that was not surprising at all. And I, I think that's what everybody's talked about. Um and I guess like what's your what's your position on for drafting for need versus best player available in the super draft? Yeah, I don't I think it's a big... Do you want to go ahead and get into that or should we talk about Generation Adidas first? Because I have quite a few thoughts on not necessarily which option we should go through, but I do want to explore both of those options. Okay, okay. Drafting for need or drafting for best talent Okay, so we, we, so we all get need. So let's go ahead and talk about Generation Adidas and that'll get us to best talent available. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Generation Adidas, it's hard to find a good explanation of why it exists. <laughs> Uh, but from what I understand, it's a designation that MLS can choose to give players, uh, essentially signing a, a, a contract with the league to get them to stick around and play in MLS for a while instead of going somewhere else. But it's generally underclassmen, which the rest of the draft is mostly going to be seniors. Um, but it's underclassmen who MLS thinks is good enough to play in, in MLS and and 
are going to benefit the league by being in the league. Does that does that seem right to you? Am I missing anything that, there? Yeah, that that seems that does seem right to me. I mean, it seems like a little bit of a give back to college soccer to make them not that upset about um, the league taking away, you know, take taking players away too and get a, through the academy system. Yeah, but these these players are essentially guaranteed uh, a contract to an extent, so it's it benefits the player and also keeps them domestic instead of them maybe trying to go sign uh, a contract abroad because MLS thinks that these players might be able to go do that if they wanted to. Yep, and there are a number of advantages um, for the clubs to take one, which I think is going to this is going to get into the. If you're a team, why would you look at gener- why would you look at Generation Adidas? So, um, they the contracts of the league, um, players who are Generation Adidas are on the supplemental roster, so they don't take up a senior roster spot. Um, throughout their initial contract, their salaries don't count against the MLS salary budget. I mean, these typically aren't going to be super high, but there's a benefit there too. And then the teams don't have to protect them in the expansion draft since there's an expansion draft almost every year. So we saw that with Danny Pereira, where we got to keep. He wasn't part of the consideration to set along with homegrowns for who might be um, selected in the expansion draft. So there's a lot of reasons why these players are very appealing. Yeah. And so I think one conversation that we heard a lot about last year is we were kind of we we're pretty excited about this expansion or sorry about the super draft last year. Right. So one conversation you hear a lot is, is the super draft still relevant? And so. In general, you're not going to find superstars in the Super Draft. But you do sometimes. Uh, guys like Daryl DK just got sold for $10 million, something like that. Tejon Buchanan got, got sold for $7 million. Both of those guys came out of the Super Draft. Uh, New England Revolutions, they set the MLS point record last year, and their entire back line came through the Super Draft over the last five or so years. So we may not be bringing in guys that are going to be superstars this year or even starters in 2022. Um, but you can find guys who might be with a, with a year or two development, be starters in 2023, 2024, there is value to be had in the super draft. So I don't think it's something to, to necessarily completely disregard, but also set your expectations properly. Remember that we took, we had the first pick last year, Danny Pereira, he ended up being kind of a fringe starter. And I think that's about as much as you can hope for in the first year. Um, but hopefully some of these guys will turn into real players in the in the, the next few years uh, as they develop a little bit more. So we talk about the two directions Austin can go. You mentioned this earlier. So we can draft for need or for just overall talent, best talent available. So the needs are defensive depth. We need center back and a fullback. Um, we talked about, we need like a boss center back. We're not going to get that guy in this draft. Like that's not going to happen, but we can get some, some useful depths at center back, uh, in this draft. And also at fullback, we only have one left back on the, on the team right now. So some options there, Kip Keller from St. Louis university is by a lot of people's, uh, assessments, the best center back, in this and by some people's assessments, the most likely to succeed in MLS uh, in this draft, he will likely not be available by, by Austin FC's fifth pick. Uh, some people think he'll go first, but if he doesn't, he'll almost certainly go second or third. Uh, he's, he's that highly rated and it's center backs seem to kind of be 
the the safest choice in in a draft pick. Domestic center back is kind of the the safe option here. So we'll likely not get Kip Keller, but there are a few other options that that uh, people think could be good MLS players. So one of them being uh, Isai Easley uh, from Grand Canyon, Ryan Saylor both uh, from Washington. Both of those guys are are big athletic center backs. Uh, another guy named Ahmed Longmire from UCLA, also a center back. Um, SBI Soccer had Anthony Markinich from Northern Illinois on his list at number nine as a left back. That might be a name to watch. One that Jeremiah and I both kind of like separately, uh, separately caught our eye was Isaiah Parker. So I know we're mostly talking about defenders here. Isaiah Parker has played left wing for St. Louis. Matt Doyle thinks that he could and might will likely be transitioned into a left back in MLS. Um, so a, f- a fast, talented guy playing left back, that's something I could get into. And actually, SBI Soccer actually projected Austin FC to pick Isaiah Parker in this draft tomorrow. Yeah, and that's, you know, the Doyle talks about there's a lot of people that start, I guess, in college at forward or in, on the wing and then, you know, eventually over two or three years end up as an outside back. So this might not be a, he would still be a project, but he seems to be like a really talented project. And he's a Generation Adidas guy too, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's got the upside of that. And then the other... Uh, yeah, name, those other names I mentioned are not Generation Adidas player, and Isaiah Parker is. And then the other name you mentioned that I've seen on at least one list was Ryan Saylor, who you have listed as a... Was that from... um, Who was that that had, had him as mock? Was it... Um, I don't uh, know, I don't so it him. was it was Travis... Travis Clark's yep. mock draft that he did for MLSsoccer.com, which was had different picks than the one he did for his own site, Top Drawer Soccer. <laughs> oh, really? I like that. Yeah. And then, you know, okay, so Ryan Saylor is, a, is you say, a big center back from Washington, which we already have one of. Um, Correct. And, and one, one that was strangely featured all on the club's social media over the last couple of days, the, the Freddie Cleveland experience. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll go back to Washington. Uh, so transitioning on to... So, yeah, that, that would be... Taking one of these guys or guys like this who would address a need now that we need now, they would likely get some minutes this year because it's a spot where we need some depth. The other option is to go best talent available, not even worrying about them getting minutes this year, but just this is the best prospect. This is someone who we think will be valuable in the future, even if not to this team in 2022. So some guys on that list, uh, one of the early mock drafts, I think this was Travis Clark's had us, uh, Kyle Holcomb, a striker from Wake Forest. Uh, he is not Generation Adidas, but is domestic, so wouldn't require an international slot. The rest of these guys I have on the list are all the Generation Adidas players because MLS has essentially decided these are some of the most valuable guys in this draft. And uh, based on all the scouting that I've read about, they seem to be. So uh, one option is central midfielder Ben Bender from Maryland. He's apparently kind of a box-to-box guy, an eight. We don't really need that right there if uh, if one of the signings we think is going to come through soon comes through. And so maybe not a, a spot of need. Uh, two of the Generation Adidas players are both goalkeepers, which we don't really need that either. Um, Eric Centeno is a another forward who is projected to become a right back, but he's a right back. We've got a couple of those, so wouldn't necessarily be the most need. 
uh, a striker from Duke named Thor Olfarsson. Fabulous name. Is an, yeah, all, fabulous you know, it's all name. Yeah, reason to go for him just the right there. Um, he seems to be pretty highly rated by some folks, but he would take up an international spot. And I don't know that like Danny Pereira's was, was worth using an international spot, the number one pick. But I don't know that this guy necessarily would be, especially when we already have three strikers on the roster. Um, one of the the players that a lot of people think is the best talent in this whole draft is a guy named Usini Buddha from Stanford. Um, I know Phil West felt pretty strongly about this one that Austin FC would be stupid not to pick this guy if he's still available. So if he is available, there's there's like, of course, if he's the most talented guy, you could see the value there. But A, Austin doesn't need any, any forwards right now, really, um, or doesn't really have room for more forwards. Uh, B, attacking players are a little bit more risky in the draft than defenders are. Uh, C, he would require an international spot. Um, he is from, I can't remember what country he's from, somewhere in West Africa, but he would require an international spot, which we don't really have any of right now. Uh, and the scouting report they gave on extra time today, they seem to think, Matt Doyle especially seemed to think that he would need to be in kind of the right system. And uh, I don't know if Austin FC would be that system. And Josh Wolf hasn't really proven that the his system is the yeah. right one for anybody yet. So um I think there's it would be a risky pick. And so I don't it would make me nervous if we picked Usini Buddha, even though he is so highly rated. Do you have a preference of which of these routes Austin FC should go? Well, if if he's there, that's why I like Isaiah Parker, because he's kind of the combination of both. That sort of meets a position of need and he's a generation Adidas guy. Um, and then if not, then I, I mean, I think you have to go domestic because uh, I know there was a little bit of talk about, you know, maybe we acquire an international slot, but international slots are going for what, two, 250K in GAM, which is a yeah. lot, a whole lot. I mean, it's a lot to give for anybody, but it's a whole lot to give for a super draft pick. A super pick, draft pick, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. So I think just take like the best domestic talent available beyond that. Yeah, I, I really like the Isaiah Parker shout. Again, we're getting into predictions here, but, um, it's a guy who, like, if he pans out and can play this year or needs to play this year, I'm sure he could fill some minutes. But uh, Hector Jimenez can play left back as well. We've seen him play left back. And so we do have some cover there. Uh, Nick Lima can also play left back. And John Gallagher can play right back. So, like, worst case scenario, we do have guys who can play in those positions. And so he would provide depth but wouldn't necessarily – have to be the next guy up if he doesn't quite pan out or turn into someone that Wolf thinks he can trust this season. So uh, I like that shout. Again, we have no idea who it's going to be, but we will be sure to give a, a detailed scouting report of whoever gets picked in this draft on the next episode. So let's move on to uh, a rumor that seems to just keep going and going and going, the Johan Valencia rumor. So uh, these rumors have turned into pretty pretty substantial reports it seems at this point so there's the most recent one is from uh diego saviola he is a uh reporter in colombia who is saying that this is done they and uh, the, the details that he's reporting are 1.5 million dollars uh austin fc will own 80 percent of his rights deportivo cali will will maintain 20 percent of those rights of sell-on and so and then he also mentions that uh 
that Valencia will be traveling next week to the United States. So we are kind of hoping that now that some other business was done, we would be getting green smoke today. That was not the case. And it may be into next week before we get this. So uh, it kind of wasn't this how the Pochettino this is, yeah, reports that were early on. Yeah, we were so we were we by the time he signed, I think we had talked about him like three weeks in a row and we were kind of done with any conversations about him as a player. And we're just like, yeah. yep, he's in. And now we move on to the next thing. So um it did seem like there was some some things needed to happen before this could happen, but that wasn't the only pending thing on our roster, right? We until today, we technically had four designated players on the team. Right. And that's something I wanted to bring up because, you know, there's things. So we can only, we have eight international slots. We can only have three designated players. But that doesn't mean you have to be in compliance all the time, every day on those roster requirements. So there's a, um, there's a, there's a roster compliance deadline. And usually it's around the first day of the season. Last year it was like a month in, I think, just because last year was super, super weird. And that's when the whole Miami thing happened. Or I guess when the whole Miami thing came out and they had to like, drop people at the last minute. But yeah, we can be temporarily out of compliance as long as by the time we get to around the first game, we only have three DPs and we only have eight um, international players. So they aren't necessarily like 100% dependent upon each other. But you kind of have to know how things are going to go. You know, because you don't want you don't want to take the risk that, oh, rats, we, we ended up with nine internationals because yeah. like a transfer didn't happen or a deal fell through or whatever. But they're not, you don't have to stay in compliance all the time. Yeah, I remember a few years back, the Galaxy had four designated players until like, I want to say it was like a week before the season started. And they finally bought out uh, Gio Dos Santos's contract. And he, I think he went back, I think he went straight to Mexico. I know he's there now, but I think he ended up going to Mexico right after that. But um, yeah, it's it's not unprecedented, but it is a little bit unnerving and things that they need to get ironed out before before the season starts. So uh, we've referenced this a few a few different times, but Tomas Pochettino is finally gone from Austin. I don't say finally isn't like I was waiting for him to go, but it's just been rumored for for weeks now at this point. And so it's finally made official today. Uh, they've loaned him to River Plate. Uh, he will be on a one year loan with a per- with an option to purchase at the end uh, of that loan. We saw some some numbers being reported. Do you remember where those? numbers came from did you happen to see that i so uh, the number that the most reliable number i saw um was in chris bill's article uh that he wrote from the striker today because i think some other numbers people were throwing around like numbers from transfer market or fought mob or something that was just like they're those are guesses those are guesses about value but yeah chris's article today said the estimate was that the buyout would be about uh like a million dollars five yeah I thought it was that we paid 1.5 and that we would get 2.5. Is that not right? I think it was 2.5 and we would get 3.5. Okay, there you go. And it was I was going to say a million dollars more than, than than what we paid. Yeah. Provided it happens. Which is decent business. Yeah, that that's one thing I wanted to bring up is like the business part of this. Like if that happens, do you see that as good business? If we make a million dollars off of him and it was a guy that was never going to fit into the system that we have right now, yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah. It's it's not as good as uh, the deal that Charlotte made yesterday or whatever, where they <laughs> yeah they brought a guy in and he never played for him and they sold him for like three million dollars. But yeah, I man, I think it's good business. I think 
you know, there's talent and there's opportunity, and maybe Pochino will kill it, and he'll be great. But he, but he wasn't going to be that kind of player in Austin, right? And my, my, yeah, it, my, my Austin example for that is like Diego Fagundes was incredible last year, and he was like persona non grata in New England. And so sometimes like a change of situation is exactly what somebody needs. Yeah, I agree. I think like if he does go and kill it at River and they buy him and he's he does great there, I think like the worst thing that happens is it maybe looks Austin makes Austin look a little bit bad, makes Josh Wolf look a little bit bad, but for a hundred like a million bucks you'll take that right and absolutely one thing that i think is interesting is like i find it interesting that river is so interested in him and i think chris bills mentioned this in his his piece about the loan but it i think this like they're not looking at his play in austin and saying like this guy is amazing we have to have him they played against him the season before when he was at tayeres and so I think he just like probably has a really good reputation in Argentina and they they know that maybe this last year wasn't representative of of all the the talent that he has and hope that they can get him back to that previous form. Yeah, that that might make sense. And I you know people you hate to read too much into like body language from training shots, but uh I know people read a lot into cuz he's already there right in Twitter. I mean, on Twitter we saw photos of him like in the jersey and running around and like seemingly happier. Than he than he was, um, in Austin. So I mean, good. You know, it was an experiment that did not work out, and I hope that he finds success, and that you know, moving him allows us to make a series of moves that also work out for better for Austin. It's just like a win for everybody. Yeah, I I saw um, Swoon Tower Soccer host Mike Ellison on online talking today about like you could look at it as saying like, oh, well, if, if Pochettino does really well next year, that it means it was a mistake to let him go. And like you said, like, it's not, it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean he was going to be good here this year. And so Mike's point was like, regardless of whether or not you think like you like Wolf or you think his system is good, it looks like they're making moves to try to better suit it and like bring in players who are actually going to fit into it better. And so if they knew that Pochettino wasn't going to fit into it, cut ties if you get the opportunity and bring someone in who you think will fit into it. Um, I mean, it's up in the air whether or not that's going to happen, but it it looks at least like they're committed to doing that and and going to be making moves to make it better. Yeah, 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 I agree. Um, Is that all the Pochettino talk we need? I think so, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about this Austin FC might get a third jersey in 2022 story really quickly. Did you see this online? So I've seen very little about it, and I saw you put it in the notes, and I intentionally didn't read anything about it because I thought it would make you explain the story better, and I want to have some, <laughs> some okay. genuine questions so, about it. But so, I know very little yeah. about this, so run me through the story here. So there's this Twitter account, Footy, Head, Footy Headlines, that has a fair amount of following that put this tweet out that said Austin FC could receive third kit in 2022, and it got like people on Slack and Twitter and the Austin FC Facebook fan group like all excited and designing alternate third kits. And the site that they had on this was a Capital City Soccer story from our friend Troy. And if you go back and read Troy's story, it's like we might get a third kit sometime in the next few years because we sold a lot of jerseys this year. And it's just like, to me, it was an example of how 
the internet is like a self-referential like echo chamber <laughs> and and back to like some of the player rumors like this Kevin Lopez one we didn't even talk about like you know somebody had a rumor and then people just ran around in circles like citing that one rumor as a thing and so yeah I just thought it was interesting that this this one thing comes out that is in no way related to the original source story and all of a sudden like there's a whole bunch of people designing their own like perfect version of a third kit and waiting for Austin FC to announce their third kit for 2022, which nobody's ever actually said firsthand. <laughs> yeah. I think the, I want to say this was a Pablo Maurer story from last year that he, he, I think it was him, but he released some of the metrics that he was told that a team needed to meet to be able to get a third kit. And Austin FC was I think in a Forbes article, they said that Austin FC had the best merchandise sales of any team this year. And so if anybody has a third kit, you would think Austin FC would get one, right? But we also know that Adidas has like a two-year run-up to releasing a kit. And so two years ago, Adidas did not know we were going to be right. the highest seller in merchandise. So they might know that for 2023, but for 2022, it's probably, if they did put out a third kit, it would probably be boring. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So in 2021, <laughs> only Atlanta had a third kit. And I think I just saw some details on their, on their third for 2022. So yeah, there's still not a lot of those. But yeah, I just thought it was like a weird little story that kind of took on a life of its own and had a bunch of people um, excited about it. And if you go back to the original source, it's like not at all what somebody said. But we, we do expect sometime this month to get our... 2022 second kit um and i'm excited to see what that is and i, I have no idea what that's going to look like do you have any like hopes for what it looks like what like what would you like to see in it something interesting but i don't something less plain than what it was last year but i don't know that we're going to get that i mean it's got to be yeah, substantially different from the other one in order to to sort of meet meet league guidelines Right, yeah, we I like I think a lot of people would like to see more Verde in it, but the Verde we use is like not quite light enough to be the light color and there's a lot of it in our home kit and so you need to have options to distinguish the colors from the team you're playing. It doesn't you don't have to stick with the home away thing, like that's flexible, but it needs to be able to to, to be distinguishable from the other team you're playing and if you have two kits that are too close to each other, uh, it, it like it doesn't work. So if they did go with Verde, it would need to be like it can't be the main like the the real bright Verde hex code. It would need to be like a significantly lighter version of that. Um, otherwise, like I think white with trim is like the best we could hope for outside of that. But yeah. which I think again, I think there's interesting ways to do that. I don't think we got that in 2021, but I think there are interesting ways to do a white kit with trim on it. Um, so yeah, who knows. Yeah, well, let's um, you ready to take a break and then talk to Andy? Yeah, uh, we have Austin SC president Andy Lochnane. We're gonna we chat with him for for quite a while, but he had some some really interesting things to say. So we're gonna take a quick break. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. 
Jeremiah, we got our uh, our new 2022 FVF calendars in the mail. Uh, listeners from last year will know that they sent sent us calendars of their pets, and this year it was like really nice portraits of dogs. And I think there were a couple of cats in there as well. But did did you have a favorite dog in the in the calendar? Do I? All dogs. <laughs> all dogs, other than. Well, clearly Finn's number one dog. I mean, and Tito's up there somewhere too. But then, like all, all the other dogs are like tied for third. How about that? Is that yeah, enough I, of a cop out answer? I feel like you I have loved a, you all have a choice. of the dogs. I did have a choice. I loved all of the dogs in the calendar, but the one that I most wanted to be friends with was the October dog. Um, I think that's that's my my birth month, so maybe that has something to do with it. But he looked like the the one that I would get along with best. But uh, <laughs> what what was what in his look was it that made you think like? He seemed like he had a good personality or I don't have it with me now and so I don't actually remember. I just remember that it was the October dog. <laughs> but he looked kind of dumb but friendly, which is <laughs> There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, you can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we are back with Austin FC president Andy Lochnane. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. It's an honor to have uh, to, to join your program. Thank you so much. So uh, I know you've been in in sports for quite a while. Um, did you always think you were going to work in sports, and did you ever imagine that you were going to be the president of an MLS club? <laughs> um, I did kind of want to from a young age. Um, think about a career in sports. Probably, you know, it's something that struck me in a very serious way, at, at least in high school, because I ultimately, you know, wanted to go to college and grab a degree in sports management. So at some point in high school, it struck me as a, as a like a worthwhile pursuit. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in Chicago. Um, hopefully that's okay. Hopefully nobody's going to hold that against me. But when when I was growing up, in particular, I had an interest in hockey. That was kind of always my thing. Um, so I went to Miami of Ohio, as I mentioned, studied sports management. Um, and and when I graduated, I kind of caught my first break. But it was it was a job that I had always wanted, right? I always wanted to work for an NHL team, and I got lucky. You know, I got to I got to work for um, a team in an industry and in a sport that I kind of desperately wanted to work in. So you know, I got a job working for one of the most storied franchises in sports, certainly in, in the NHL. And that was the Detroit Red Wings. And I got really lucky guys. Cause when I joined the wings, um, we won back to back Stanley cup championships in my first two years. Um, and what's interesting about that is that I, I think in sports there's three, and this is just, you know, where I'm at, but there's three things in sports. I think you want to accomplish one, you want to be a part of a winning team. It doesn't come easily. Um, in my case, I got really lucky. It happened twice in my first two years in the industry. Um, you want to have the opportunity to open a new building, maybe renovate a new building, you know, whether it's an arena or stadium. And then you want to have the opportunity to launch a new team. Now, that third one does not come along very often. Obviously, MLS has been kind of the expansion frontier for the last decade, more so than the other sports. But you typically get the second and the third together. And so, you know, I left I left the Red Wings um, to help launch the NHL's Columbus Blue Jackets. And, and I guess I raise all of that because ultimately that experience in Columbus 
was an insight that probably allowed me to be a, a compelling candidate when the Columbus Crew job came open back in 2014. I, I and I, you know, without going through my entire career, I think what I will tell you is, um, you know, that there's there's no doubt that my market insight of Columbus ultimately led to that role in MLS. But I don't know. I guess I guess if 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 you're asking. Did I think that I would be in Major League Soccer? The 24, 25-year-old version of myself probably would have told you no. Um, I, you know, I've actually told this story before. I, I'm, I'm, uh, when I was in Columbus to, to help launch the Blue Jackets, we often spoke about um, you know, the, NH, uh, the NHL team that we were launching as being the first Major League team in Columbus. Now, mind you, this was the year 2000, and as MLS aficionados would know, MLS joined or uh, Columbus joined MLS in 1996 uh, in year one of Major League Soccer. So, you know, if you're going to ask the 24 or 25 year old version of myself, did I expect to work in soccer? You know, the answer would have been no. Um, you know, we didn't even at the, at that point in time recognize it as a Major League sport. Now, things have changed drastically. <laughs> and the 47 year old version of myself uh, can't see myself anywhere else other than working for Anthony and working in Austin. And I don't know, I, I recently did the math on this. Um, this upcoming 2022 season will be my ninth season as a club president. And there's maybe five or six other current team presidents who've been in the same spot longer than me at this point. So I'm confident I'm involved in a sport that I'm extremely passionate about and, and at this point, extremely addicted to. So fast forwarding to your position here at Austin FC, uh, Jeremiah and I spent a lot of time in the weeds of of the Austin FC uh, atmosphere, and we kind of forget that there's some people who don't talk about and think about this team as much as we do. So I kind of forgot that there's probably people who don't know what your job is or what you do. So can you just tell our listeners what Andy Lochnane's position is and what your responsibilities are for the team? Sure. So the way that um, Anthony has set up our operation is that we have a leader who oversees our soccer operations, and, and that's Claudio. And then we have a leader who oversees business operations. So in that capacity, um, you know, my role is responsible for overseeing things like ticket sales, sponsorship sales, marketing, PR, um, community relations, the stadium operation itself, the training facility operation. Um, and while it was happening, the, uh, the infrastructure projects of making sure that our stadium and our training facility um, were constructed, constructed on time, on budget, et cetera. So in a nutshell, it's overseeing the day-to-day -day business operations and venue operations of Austin FC. And, and, and on that question, you know, the, the delineation between, um, let's call it the sporting department and the business department, not every major league property across the five major leagues in North America split the business the way we do. I, I think I think it's probably closer to 60% follow the format that we follow. So we're in, you know, we're by no means an anomaly, but there are some clubs in, in MLS um, that have kind of my role overseas soccer. I think for the, uh, the comfort and safety of your audience, um, I'm here to proudly declare that um, you guys are in um, very capable hands of Claudio and I have nothing to do with the soccer operations. That's, 
It's really interesting. I, I had never really thought about that before, but it almost seems like, um, like I, me as a fan, I want those two jobs to be held by different people because it seems like there might be some conflicting interests there sometimes at some points. Uh, there, there could be, you're absolutely right. But I think we have to be collaborative and cooperative. And thankfully, Claudio and I get along very, very well. We, you know, we do, we probably speak at least once a day, text multiple times a day, and we're in different locations, which by the way, isn't necessarily the most convenient. He's at St. David's Performance Center. I'm at our, um, I'm at our administrative office, which is by the way, not the stadium. Um, but there are elements of our operations that clearly overlap. Um, you know, there, there's, whether it's, you know, the facility itself that he resides in or making sure that the stadium is well-maintained or making sure that we have a good grip on our budget. There's, there's obvious ways that we work together. There's less obvious ways that we work together, you know, securing green cards for players. Um, there, there are, um, there's no doubt that we have to work together as one unit. Um, but I agree. Subject matter experts are helpful. And I think, uh, Again, our fan base uh, can rest easy knowing it's in capable hands of Claudio. Yeah, well, you so you talked about opening a stadium, which which you got to do again last year. Um, and I think it was probably, no doubt, a smashing success in quite an odd time. Um, you know, some interested, which things worked out better than you expected? And then, you know, is there anything that you thought was going to I don't know. It didn't work out quite that way. Quite, quite like what you wanted out of it. You know, was there such a tough question, but it's a great question. And there's so much to be grateful for. I mean, especially as you, as you pointed out, especially in light of so many things coming together under really difficult and unprecedented conditions. But so, uh, so as not to run from what I think is a pretty fun question, I guess a few things come to mind. Maybe, maybe I, I think one of the MVPs, of the 2021 season that um, I'd like to put forth and nominate right now, one that needs more attention because I think they did an outstanding job in making sure that the stadium experience was, um, was smooth. And that's cap Metro, right? Like, so from a, you know, an overall performance perspective um, again, under really difficult circumstances, when you consider the impact of the pandemic on their, their drivers, their train operators, their mechanics, um, they prioritized Q2 stadium events and they made sure that there were service available for all of our matches, including those that were again, during very difficult periods for the city. And, you know, it's not easy getting 20,000 people in and out of a stadium or an arena. And I think our transportation plan, again, led in large part by cap Metro's bus and rail service was a noteworthy achievement. Um, and to me, they're, they're a big MVP and they probably need to get more credit. Um, for the success of the stadium. That's one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't see us hosting the U.S. national teams a total of three times in the first year. Um, again, very fortunate. It's also a great signal for what Austin can one day become over time in terms of becoming an important city in the U.S. soccer landscape. I mean, everybody's got to give it time. We need to earn that privilege, but man, three wins, including a uh, great start. World. Yeah. And, and yeah, one of those being a World Cup qualifier. Um, and I'm pretty sure we haven't let in a goal uh, at Q2 Stadium um, on the, the the U.S. national team side. So pretty good start for the U.S. men and U.S. women at Q2 Stadium. Um, listen, the 
the question cannot be answered without talking about the incredible atmosphere created by fans inside of the stadium. And it was, it was legit awesome. And I, and, and, you know, it's supporters, it's people who sat in other parts of the stadium. I mean, everyone, um, I, I, I think this is, um, perhaps goes without saying, but you know, that, the the army of supporters in the South end who, uh, helped establish, you know, Annie Austin, the FC match, um, as a must attend event, they, they brought it every game. It was incredible. Um, and, and, and by the way, everybody looks like incredibly amazing under those killer Verde lights when we score a goal. Um, that was another thing that light package was pretty amazing. That one kind of blew me away. I think that's one that kind of, out, uh, out achieved my expectations. Um, and, and, you know, to have a, a sold out stadium for, um, for all of our matches, again, like our, our supporters get the credit. And by the way, speaking of, of sold out crowds, I guess we help, we hold the longest active sellout streak in MLS. You guys can report that now. Um, it's a fun <laughs> little insight. Um, and I, and I think we have the ability to remain, you know, uh, active for the foreseeable future. We won't take that for granted, but it's kind of fun as long as it lasts. It's a cool little tribute to our fans. Um, you know, I mean, other little things, guys, this is such a long list. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I loved the open corners that created breeze and, and that natural circulation that happened. That was wonderful in design, but until it plays out, you just don't know. And also you, there was these concerns that sound might escape that, that did not take place and so you know we, we were able to get the again that that cooling effect without losing sound that was like an amazing outcome um you know i think we wanted to represent the tastes of austin without it being a point of frustration for our fans and i think our food service platform certainly was a stadium strength um so a lot went right very little went wrong so what what so very little went wrong what what would you say went wrong <laughs> Give give us one, Andy. Just just one, just one. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Yeah. But give us give us something that that you that you wish had gone differently during the well, year. Because I can't imagine. I mean, other than you not getting to have an office in the stadium because <laughs> the, you decided to put a beer hall there, which was very strategic. We added the uh, beer hall, so yeah. hopefully that was a good trade off for uh, the fan base. Um, I, yeah. Again, it's a relatively short list of things that that may not have met expectations, and this one's unusual because it 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 was totally out of our control. But I'll give you one thing. I mean. Maybe to start my answer, it's important to recognize that the pandemic has been so hard on people's lives and welfare, and it's been hell for so many people. So, so I realize the answer that I'm going to share in a second is incredibly minimal in light of the way that the pandemic has you know, negatively impacted lives. But since you asked, I mean, the pandemic slowed our ability to host our first concert at Q2 Stadium. It's often, I, I think I'd have to put it on like top three questions that I get, you know, when is your first concert? And, you know, we had certainly envisioned that taking place in 2021, um, but the concert situation for 2021 ultimately moved into a category that was just totally out of our control. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's not exactly easy in 2022, given, you know, the recent cancellations that have led to rescheduled dates that were already rescheduled dates. And, you know, we, we didn't have artists under contract in 2020, so we're a little behind on some of those rescheduled dates that got rescheduled to 21 that are now being rescheduled for 22, and some of which are getting rescheduled again. Um, but, you know, we'll play catch up. Um, it's not a matter of uh, if, it's a matter of when. Um, 
and we're persistent and our, and our persistence will, will pay off. But I guess that's the one where I, I kind of was hoping that we would be able to check that box in 2020. It just was out of our control. Are, are you able to give us a ballpark of how many concert type events you, you would expect to have in a normal year at the stadium? Yep. Um, it's such a good question and it's nuanced and we could probably go on and on and on about this, <laughs> but through a combination of factors, the schedule, the, um, the importance of prioritizing soccer, the importance of maintaining, um, grass at a world-class clip, the, um, the, <laughs> the, the climate, there's, there's so many things that factor the timing of when the schedule comes out, long story short, um, we're probably thinking in the neighborhood of two to three, what I'll call headliner acts on a annualized basis as things start to return to normal. So it might take us a year before we're able to get to that clip, but that's a, a that, that would be a good target. Some stadiums, you know, they build out their pro formas when they're trying to get financing for stadium construction. And they say, we're going to have 20 concerts. And, you know, I, I, I've seen these pro formas before and people just don't realize you can't do that in the MLS environment. You know, maybe you could get away with it if you had a um, artificial turf, different story, but there's just no way you can do that on a grass field. Yeah. I don't think Weston would be very happy if you're doing no, he wouldn't. 20, he 20 would concerts yeah, on his and, field every year. <laughs> So what do you? Yeah, what, and we and we we appreciate y'all prioritizing the uh, <laughs> the soccer and the turf too for sure. I mean, and, and the grass for well, sure. You guys, by the way, what do you guys think outperformed expectations? Um, so you mentioned the, the the like the breeze and the the sound. Those were things that were that you guys were definitely hyping up as being, uh, like okay, we we've designed the stadium with these factors in mind, and so that. I wasn't sure if those things were actually going to make a difference, but they very clearly did. And so I was pleasantly surprised that there was a breeze in my seats. If there was a breeze at all, I could feel it in my seats and that it was very loud in there. Like, could it have been a little bit louder with closed corners? Sure, but I'll (laughs) take the breeze over that. (laughs) Yeah, I just think, I mean, the first time I walked in with the stadium, it was fully complete, like the... um not a lot of buildings outperform their renderings, but I feel like just the whole, just like the whole experience put together with the food and the different art and all this stuff was just like exceeded what I expected we might see out of it. Like at some point I'm like, Oh, this is like a glorified high school football stadium. And that is not at all what it turned out to be. I, I think that was the mindset of some people, Jeremiah. There's a lot of people who I toured who I did. I, I honestly think they, their expectations were, you know, closer to house park than they were to a world-class stadium. And, and it's fun blowing people's minds away when, when you're able to walk them through that stadium, whether it was through the construction phase or through now the operational phase, it was fun seeing people's emotions quickly get turned around. That one thing that we talked about a lot in the, the buildup to this team starting is that my kind of prediction was that there are a lot of people in Austin who knew a soccer team was coming, but didn't know what that meant. And I think a lot of people think about soccer as like, oh, it's a thing that kids do. And we're expecting maybe like uh, like a minor league baseball kind of experience. Like, okay, it's a fun afternoon. You take the kids out, whatever. And I, my prediction was that there were going to be a lot of people in this city who saw it on TV for the first time or went into the stadium for the first time and were got hooked to it because of what, how much bigger and better of an experience 
this is than what they're expecting and then also what else is available in the American sports market. And does did that become evident in like your business metrics throughout the year? Could you see that happening? Could you tell that people were kind of coming on board as they they realized what what exactly was happening there? Absolutely. Some of that's measured through kind of social chatter. Some of that's measured through um, anecdotal feedback that we get. I, I, all I can tell you is that the number of people in my neighborhood who had zero interest in soccer or talking to me um, that have <laughs> um, since somehow become addicted um, flag-waving fans, uh, that's a, um, a good signal for me. But yes, and, and we were always hopeful that you just needed to come to Q2 Stadium and get a taste of the electric atmosphere. And you didn't need to necessarily be a soccer fan to be hooked. You needed to have some level, you know, some level of, um, you know, adrenaline-seeking behavior. But I, I, I know that we have converted some non-soccer fans into soccer fans, and that is a really good outcome. Yeah, the thing that we talk about is like what in the early days, you know, every anytime you saw anybody in Austin FC hat, it was like somebody we knew. You know, and now just wherever you go, yeah. there's like caps and shirts and people in polos. And I like get all excited, geek out and try to talk to them. They're like, okay, I'm not like that kind of fan. I mean, I love it, but you know, but it's, I mean, it's really cool to see for, for, I think for all of yeah. us. Um, so let's talk about sponsorships a little bit, you know, cause this is something every time you guys would announce an official partner of whatever or the stadium name, you know, there were people this like, we would, you know, people on Reddit wanted it to be like Austin beer work stadium or something. So like, I mean, talk about how you balance um, the need to keep it local and like the, really the primary need to bring money in the door to create a world-class soccer operation. Yeah, it's part of, it's part of the business. It's an important part of the business. Um, and again, like this can be the answer to so many questions about the success of Austin FC in year one, but you know, you just kind of start pinching yourself and you have to recognize that we're all fortunate to be in Austin um, you know, the corporate support has been strong and, um, you know, I, not every market has, um, a large corporate base, whether it's headquartered companies or companies that have made this their second headquarters or a large, um, office presence with a large number of employees. Austin has that as an asset. And so, you know, the hypothesis was that there would be an opportunity for an MLS property to generate corporate support. Again, until that plays itself out, you don't know. But you mentioned that, you know, having a source of pride with local partners, that's, that's important. Um, and, and I think we have found the right percentage split between local brands and brands that are not necessarily headquartered in Austin. You know, we've gone through the process and, and, and we've certainly measured against other teams. And we had a clear bias to identify um, and align with the right Austin-based companies for some really critical assets. So, for example, our healthcare partner, St. David's, our training facility partner, um, St. David's, our jersey partner, Yeti, our stadium naming rights partner, Q2, our jersey sleeve partner, Netspend, just as a few examples. And there's more examples, you know, Kendra Scott and the Zebra and C4 and Waterloo and Amplify Snacks. And I'm going to probably leave people off this list, so I should probably just stop. But I, <laughs> You should, yeah, don't, don't ever start, Andy. <laughs> I know, you know it, it can only lead to a bad end. It, it's incredible the amount of local brands who um, have 
believed in this club and believed in the fans. And again, we're just really fortunate to be in Austin and have the, uh, the benefit of that local market, but also have the attraction of national international brands. And so this isn't always the case, but you know, we have support from companies who are targeting markets like LA and New York and London and Paris, and they're open to having a conversation about MLS in Austin. I can tell you that is not always the case. Um, and, and because there's just, you know, there's, there's, there's no actual like finite right split percentage. Um, but there are some teams where 80 to 90% of the team's sponsorship revenue is coming from, you know, like national brands then that, and that that's a high percentage. And it's not usually the best health signal if that's the case. Um, so we're, we're in a very different spot where we have really good local support. So we talked a little bit about kind of the, the smashing success that Austin FC was on a business end. And then also which kind of stadium atmosphere, I, I think we can call that a big success as well. But it wasn't necessarily the case on the field. The The team performed quite poorly overall in the field. So did that present any messaging challenges to, to your part of the business as, as far as kind of balancing like how well you're doing off the field with how poorly it was going on the field? I mean, I guess the, the short answer, uh, short answer is not terribly, um, it, it not terribly, it, it, it didn't necessarily hurt our ability to be successful and deliver a message, the message that we wanted to the market. I mean, you know, the short answer is no. Um, the little bit longer answer is, you know, the launch of a major league team is challenging and it's stressful under any condition, regardless of the standings in year one. And, and it becomes even more stressful when you add some of the construction projects we were undertaking and, you know, you layer in a pandemic. Um, and in our case, right, like, you know, getting to Austin, launching a team in Austin, it was, it was stressful for a lot of people, but the Austin FC community banded together again, under very difficult conditions to build something special. And, and I think that's something that, you know, each of us, and I'm talking about you guys, our fan base, our partners, um, we all came together and we all deeply care about this. And so I think for a time, you know, a time period, like we can set aside the standings for a second. Um, and hopefully we're able to kind of recognize the kind of tele tireless, unselfish um, drive that each of us put in to build this team. And, you know, a group of total strangers came together and kind of formed Austin FC under unprecedented conditions. And I, I, I just think about that more than anything being difficult. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think we did all of this together and um, I'm not worried about year one standings. Um, and I think we all endured things that were much harder to get to the point where we even had a team in 2021. And by the way, like I'm, I'm not uh, Pollyannish. Um, I, I, I do recognize that we can't acknowledge uh, and talk about what this community accomplished together uh, for the rest of our lives. Um, and, you know, especially on the occasions where we're outscored by our opponent. So I, I do realize that um, we can't focus on this for much longer, but it's probably still working, you know, worth talking about until the 2022 season starts. That's fair. That's, that's <laughs> very fair. I was thinking that's a, that's a very, I don't know if you, how familiar you are with Texas A&M, but the, uh, you know, we never lost. We were just outscored by our opponents is also the way they all phrase those. <laughs> so it's very familiar language around here and hopefully our Aggie, our Aggie <laughs> listeners will get it. So, I mean, you talked about selling out every game this year, which, 
you know, leads to the question about having a bigger building. So you built this Q2 with the opportunity to expand. Do you have any any updates you want to give us on like your thought processes on that or what, what what's the latest there? Like like any business, we we have near-term strategic considerations. We have more long-term strategic considerations. That's on the long-term consideration list. Um, if I had to give a time estimate, it's probably no sooner than 2024. Um, it could easily be beyond that as there might be, you know, reasons to be patient. But gosh, I, I always find myself delivering doses of uh, reality and hopefully, you know, that that's eventually appreciated. But, you know, not everything associated with our long-term business operation wish list, which that's on, a, you know, a long-term wish list. It, it just, it, it doesn't need or, you know, it, it doesn't need to happen right away. Um, and, and I do think that's another question we get a lot. You sell at all your games, please have more seats in your stadium. And it's, it's complicated. Um, but I, I do think, you know, it's worth noting that it is on our radar. We created expansion capability of about 1500 seats in the North end. So it's on our mind. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are on our long-term strategic wish list. Like for example, right? Like an all-star game. Um, I don't know when that comes. I, I honestly don't know when that comes, but maybe, maybe you, you think about, um, you know, prioritizing these in different year slots and, and down the road, we'll be able to slot these much better, but, um, that's that's on our strategic wish list. I, I think as long as we're talking about construction, though, you know, it's it is worth noting that people will start to see some surrounding development start to occur, you know, in in the very near vicinity of Q2 Stadium at some point in 2022. In fact, there's a crane that's up just east of the stadium right now. Um, but you know, the we talked about Cap Metro earlier. Cap Metro should be breaking ground at some point here in 2022 with a target completion date of fall of 2023, you're going to have to get the exacts from cap Metro. That's their, that's their timeline. And that's for the, to to clarify for listeners, that's for the train station. That's going to be right there next to the stadium. Correct. Thank you. That's for the new rail station um, on the cap Metro red line, but there's other projects. There's a project that people have probably heard a little bit about recently called Verde square. That's, um, close to burn it, um, off of bright Verde way that that is a, uh, that's a pretty significant project that will probably break ground at some point in 2022 arena tower, which has been under plans for a while longer, close to when the stadium site got announced. Um, you know, we could see some groundbreaking in 2022 on that project. Um, you know, there's this project that's been recently talked about called Uptown ATX, which is a little bit further north, kind of on the, the old IBM campus. There's so much development taking place. And, you know, again, if we can be patient and think long term just for a second, if we really like the stadium and the vision of the surrounding area as it stands today, we will love it, you know, in a, in a couple of years when this vision comes to life. Well, Andy, we greatly appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk with us today. Before we let you go, is there any overall message uh, you would like to share with fans as we head into the 2022 season? Um, Well, first of all, you know, we just want to say thank you. Um, Probably cannot be said enough. The message is simple. It's from the heart. Our fans are amazing. The energy, the commitment, the creativity, generous spirit, it's inspiring. Um, and so we're incredibly grateful. And, and I know you kind of asked me earlier what to expect. Um, and I, and I guess, you know, one of the things that, that I'm looking forward to, you know, from, 
you know, from moving forward here, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of the team as well. And I want to see what our supporter groups have planned for 2022. Um, you know, a lot of that's done in the cover of darkness, uh, uh, not to my knowledge, which is very helpful, by the way, that that is all very independent. But, you know, as a fan of the team, right, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what the, you know, the fine tuning tweaks are being done to stadium rituals and songs and chants. And I, I mean, I can't wait to see what TIFO looks like again. You know, by the way, like that, I should have put that TIFO on that list. The June 19th TIFO, incredible. Um, yeah, absolutely. From last year. Like that thing should be in the Louvre. An, an uh, amazing piece of art um, that needs to be preserved and put in a museum. But again, as, as a fan of the team, like I can't wait to see what our fans will introduce into the stadium in 2022 and you know, hopefully we'll all have goosebumps on February 26th for uh, match number one. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Andy. Uh, we can't wait to uh, to get back into Q2 Stadium and see what the team has in store for us. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, gentlemen. I ain't got no time to let you pass. I only got one All right. We would like to thank Andy Lockname for taking some time to talk to us today. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at elviahero 87 and at jbentley underscore ATX. And then on Twitter and Instagram at MoontowerSoccer or at MoontowerSoccer.com. Uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, what can folks look forward to on the Striker this week? Yeah, Chris Bills wrote two articles this week uh, out of his interview with Alex Ring. Uh, that he did after Ring re-signed his contract and was designated as a designated player. And uh, there's some really good stuff about sort of Ring's philosophy, where he likes to play, where he doesn't love to play, sort of what he expects in this season, where he thinks that the team needs to grow. So there's just a whole ton of information in there. So I would encourage people to check out both of those articles from Chris. Absolutely. Uh, well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye.